You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Well, good morning again. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Bert Thompson and uh, Senior Pastor of Every Nation Church, GTA. Uh, I also uh, lead the Every Nation um, churches in Canada. We have nine churches across Canada and on several campuses, and we're believing to spread to more and more campuses and more and more cities. We call it the 10-10-10 vision in the next 10 years, from 2020 to 2030, to be in 10 major cities, 10 major campuses, and all 10 provinces of Canada. And we're sort of like halfway there right now. So pray for us, because um, what you see here is being multiplied and replicated uh, across our land. Well, we're continuing our series called Ecclesia, where we're looking at uh, the early church and what they were devoted to. There's one passage we're going to look at in just a second and talk about the things that the early church was devoted to and what made them such a, an ama- make an amazing uh, impact in the world. So this has been our text, just a few verses, but there's a lot in it. So that's why uh, any good pastor and preacher, Rich will attest to that, Aaron, Sheila, that, you know, any passage of scripture is good for at least 10 or 20 sermons. So here we go with our, te- our text for the whole series, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every, every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so here are the six practices that we're highlighting in this sermon series of the early church. It said that they weren't just uh, doing them, but these were the things they were actually devoted to. In fact, the first sermon in this series that Pastor Richard preached was just about what it means to be devoted to something. And uh, if you didn't catch that one, you might want to go back and uh, listen to the podcast. But here are the six things. Uh, Deep relationships, learning truth, joyous worship, sacrificial service, communal prayer, and winsome witness. So what we're looking today is this one here, sacrificial service. It's the fourth one uh, down. So we're going to center in on this verse in our passage, uh, particularly in Acts 2, 44 and 45. Here's what it says. I just want to highlight this. All who were believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds all as any had need. Now, if you look back a couple verses in verse 32, uh, you'll see this just a little bit more clarification because you might say, oh, were, were they communists or socialists? No, there's a difference between that political system and what was happening in the early church. It says that all the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared as everything as they had. So as they claimed, they acted as if. I can remember the first time as a young Christian at, uh, on living on campus at the University of British Columbia, and my dear friend Greg Mitchell, who's now the pastor of um, Every Nation Vancouver, but he got a new car. And, you know, when you get a new car, you know, you, know, you don't want to just 
necessarily loan out. He was the only one in our dorm pretty much that had a car. So it's like he was, uh, people were always asking to borrow this car, but you know, it's like a bunch of 18 and 19 and 20 year olds in, in this dorm. Do you really want to, you know, lend out your brand new car? And it, and it was a, it was a fast car too. And it was like a stick shift and it was really fun to drive five speed. And, uh, and, and the Lord kind of put this on his heart that, you know, you're supposed to share your possessions. So the word got around that if anybody wants to try out Greg's new car, he's under this conviction of the Holy Spirit about sharing his car. So now is the time. Uh, so um, here's another verse just to kind of reiterate that, you know, they, they weren't disavowing private ownership. But if you look forward, for the, some of the, you who know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, when they, when they observed the generosity of the early church, people selling things, and so they also did that, but they kind of lied that they gave it all. They, uh, you know, kept back some of the proceeds of what they sold. And so in Acts 5, 3, and 4, this is what Peter said to them. He said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Well, it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So the early church did not practice communism. They still had stewardship and private ownership. And we are all called to steward what God has given us. Our, uh, our salvation is taken uh, is because of Jesus on that last day when we face God and we die or he comes and we're raptured up or however that works in our case. You know, he's not going to say, hey, did you repent of your last sin before you died? Because if not, shh, to hell. No, um, he, he, he is not going to ask us that question because our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. But he is going to ask this question to us. What did you do with what I placed in your, within your hands? What did you do with what I placed in your hands? There is going to be a stewardship issue. And so one of the things that as we grow as Christians, it's just not growing in sanctification, but it's growing in stewardship. Do you understand what God has placed in your hand? Or are you stewarding it to his glory, your talents, your finances, your relationships? And so a little bit about uh, the early church's sharing. Um, we had a focus for uh, 2022. At least I felt strongly about this focus and that I preached on it at our pop-up service out in Etobicoke earlier this year, that there was to be an emphasis on these two things for our church, deeper relationships and practical ministry. Deeper relationships, it takes two things to have deeper relationships. One is you have to be willing to step out and challenge one another and speak into one another's lives. You have to be bold if you... You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. So there's that side of it that you have to actually point out and say, hey, I don't think that was a kind word or the way you talk to your wife or whatever it is. So there's that part of deeper relationship. And then the other thing is opening up your life in a greater way to people. Because there's you can be in a crowd and be still very sheltered. You can be in a small group and still not have your life open. And God has called us to not to have the type of relationships that go deeper and it will take those things. But we're not talking about deeper relationships today, but we are talking about sacrificial service or practical ministry. So what is service or practical ministry? Let's just look at some definitions right off the top here. A service is the action of helping or doing work for someone. Uh, so it's the actual, uh, you know, doing something. It is giving the glass of water to helping whatever it may be. We're going to get into that a little bit more. Uh, the word practical means this, concerned with the actual doing or use of something rather than with the theory 
and with ideas. Uh, I thought of an example of this. Um, it, a lot of people in this city, how many people have ever bought something from Ikea? Uh, anybody here? Uh, yeah. If you move to Toronto, you've probably bought something at Ikea. Now, when you open Ikea, now we have a love-hate Ikea at our, at, at our home. So anyway, um, it's like when Ikea comes in the door, it's like, I'm not putting that together. It's like sort of this fight to not do it. But in any case, what if Ikea in the instruction manual, and, and, and it came with it, it gave you a theory of module furniture design when you opened it up and you start reading through and it's, you know, uh, Swedish modern modular furniture design and they gave you a text on that and you've got this pile of stuff that's, you know, screws and nuts and all of this, that would not do you any good, right? What do you need? What you need is an instruction manual. You need something to actually say, how do I take this pile of stuff and turn it into what it needs uh, to be. So when we talk about sacrificial service and we're talking about practical ministry, we are not talking about theories. We meet a lot on university campuses and university campuses and young people and the older people and professors oftentimes stay in the realm of ideas. And uh, it's good to have ideas. It's good to have that realm. But we have to go past that um, and get into, as Natri, Natri Libre says, the nitty gritty. So, um, we need to get into that. Uh, so I'm going to talk now service on three dimensions. Uh, the early church, I, you, we can see uh, how they served, and, and I want to talk about how we serve today on three dimensions. So let me just give them to you, and then we'll go into each one. The first one is service in the house of the Lord. Secondly, service among the members of the church. And thirdly, service to all. Okay, so we're going to look at that. So let's start up with this first one, service in the house of the Lord. Now, in biblical times, right up until present day, there's always been the need for the people of God to provide service within the house of the Lord. So all the way back from the earliest uh, Jewish sacrifices of the people of God to the tabernacle, which is what a tent that God uh, asked to be made with all these kind of, um, you know, fixtures and all these things for worship to the great Solomon's temple, all the way through the Old Testament and then into the New Testament era, all the different churches, when you think of all the churches that have been, uh, you know, made and over the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, there's always been a need for service in the house of the Lord, right? And so it looks different in different eras, and I kind of took a bit of a tangent in my own sermon, so I'm going to like take you on a tangent right now. And I was just thinking, I wonder what the, you know, we have this thing, you know, on service, all the different areas of service. I wonder what it would be like if we went back to Solomon's Temple. And then I got on to, well, I wonder even what Solomon's Temple would even look like. So if you were to do service in the house of the Lord in Solomon's day, you would be doing service within this building, and I'm going to show a one-minute video of a replica that was made of Solomon's Temple, and then the Met Museum in New York um, did a computer animation thing of this replica of Solomon's Temple. So want to take one-minute detour into Solomon's Temple? Here we go.
through the ages. So um, so let's speed up um, about a thousand years now into the early church, because Solomon's temple, I think, was built around 970 BC. Um, so I'm going to jump to the New Testament and uh, the early church of some of the things that they had to do. Now, there was a lot of persecution in the early church. There was um, a lot of displacement of people. And so one of the main things in the practical ministry or sacrificial service of the early church was actually looking after widows, looking after orphans, and things like that. And so uh, in Acts 6, it describes a little bit about the service and what it looked like. And so I'm just going to read this passage. Um, now, in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because the Hellenists are the Greeks. Um, against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, that's the twelve um, apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom, who we may appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. But what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip and Procurus, and Nacanor, and Timon, and Paramias, and Nicolas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set them before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. So you see, as the church was growing um, what was happening is the early leaders of the church, the apostles, they were doing the preaching, the teaching, and everything, but all the practical ministry was done by them as well, all the sacrificial service. And they realized that this, and as the church was growing, uh, it caused actually stress where they're saying, hey, some of the ethnicities, basically the uh, the, the Greek portion, they, they were like their widows were being missed out. And they realized that uh, it was stressing the structure of the way that the church was in, uh, operating at the time. And so it was important that they, I call this the first corporate restructuring of the church, where they actually said, hey, this is, uh, you know, outstripping this, our systems. The way that we do ministry is, it, it's, it's hit a brink and it's actually complaining. It's amazing. They didn't say, you complainers, you need to get your act you know, together in Jesus' name. They didn't do that. They, they said, no, this, this isn't working. And they responded appropriately. And what happened is they, they actually appointed different people to do different work. And so that's how the service within, within the Lord, uh, worked, uh, in the early church and, and their context uh, was really a lot in social aid, okay? So then the question comes up, let's speed up another 2,000 years and say, what does service in the house of the Lord look like at ENGTA? So here's uh, just a, a, a few things. First of all, our, our Sunday service, when we meet in person, we need hospitality, we need coffee, tea, we need a connection crew, we need children's ministry, we need music, we need visual... Uh, Arts, all this stuff that you see on the on the screen doesn't just happen. There's people that pour into that. 
Uh, when we do Sunday in-home worship, we require people to host in their homes and organize and call people and say, hey, I'm opening up my home for an in-home worship this week. Come on over. And then during the week, all our wonderful small group leaders, our church is divided into small groups. We don't just meet here on Sunday, but we have... Well, we're supposed to have about a 12 small groups right now. I don't know which ones are going and which ones are not. We're having a little bit of a retool. Uh, COVID sort of, we lost a little bit of touch with things, but we're, we know we've still got small groups. I'm not saying they're, they're gone, but we're just, we're having to regroup a little bit. But it's without those faithful people bringing people together into their homes or meeting at a coffee shop or meeting on Zoom if they can't get together because of restrictions. It takes all these people here to do service in the house of the Lord right here, right now. And every local church around the world and every country of the world still needs people to serve in the house of the Lord, in the church. Okay, secondly, let's move on. Service among the members of the church. So if you, when I think of this church, we can't just apply automatically the Solomon Temple because that's not the context, or even the early church. You know, there isn't, you know, the same hostile Roman Empire, you know, against us, and there isn't those sorts of things. And even being in a developed country like this, most of us, the main need isn't, hey, you know, I, I saw that you didn't have any clothes this week, and so here's a, you know, a t-shirt and a pair of shorts. Like, that's not our context. Uh, most of us have clothes and some food and a roof over our head. And so some of those, a lot of time, not everybody, I'm going to talk about in the church, Sometimes there are those practical needs, but a lot of times that's not the issue. But that doesn't mean there aren't needs among us. And as a pastor, I know there's a lot of needs among us. So Philippians 2, 4 through 7 says this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself take, by taking the form of what? A servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so even Jesus was a servant, and it and exhorts that Paul ex, was exhorting the church in Philippi, and he's exhorting us, I believe the scriptures are exhorting us today, do not look out for only your own interests. And I think if you've got to understand, we are in a society that tells you to look after your own interests. We live in a world where it's all about finding yourself, discovering yourself, and making yourself famous in some way, shape, or form. And so we are trying to run counterculture to that, to say, how do I, Lord, think more of others than myself? C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He said, growing in Christ doesn't mean you think less of yourself. It just means you think of yourself less. Growing doesn't mean you think less of yourself. It just means you think of yourself less. You know, even when we're afraid, I'm never afraid for you. I'm only afraid for me. Even fear has a selfish dimension to it. You know, everything is pointing that way. And as we grow, it, it's freedom. And, you know, when you're not thinking about yourself so much, do you know you're a lot happier? You know, I, I mean, I just something that I've noticed, like when you're, just obsessed with yourself is like, it just gets worse and worse, you know, and growth means getting out and saying, hey, how can I stop thinking about myself so much and think about someone else? And so that's the exhortation here from scripture. So what does service between the members look like? 
And secondly, the follow-up, what are the needs among us? So let's think about that. So I think, I think here's, here's what I think we need to do more. Um, I'm just going to grab my phone here as a prop last minute. Um, here's what I think we, here's, I think, a way we can answer some needs. Pick up the phone, call someone, text someone this week, ask them, how are you doing? Follow it up with something like, hey, what's something that you're really happy about right now? Something that's, you know, really making you get some good vibes right now. And then you can also ask, hey, friend, what's something that's hard right now? Those are that deeper relationship questions of stepping out into another person's life and helping them. Now, on the other end of the phone, or if you have to meet up for coffee, the response on the other end, if someone asks you that, is not to say fine or just fine. Okay, wrong answer. It's like everybody's fine. You know, you can be like hit by a car on your e-bike and lying dead on the road. Say, how you doing? Fine. It's like, it's just an automatic reaction, you know, in our world is just to say, now I know that it can be just a cordial greeting and I, I understand that that's, that's okay. It's like everyone that I say hi to today, you don't have to open up everything, you know, and have 20 minutes. I understand sometimes it's a greeting, okay? So I'm giving that, but I'm talking about when someone's calling to check in on you. How are you? How's it going? then that's the time to say, hey, these are the things that are going pretty good and these are the things that aren't. And then to have some empathy and some compassion and maybe some, hey, how can I, how can I help that out? What will transpire through a simple conversation like this is an ongoing opportunity to stand with one another, right? If they share, hey, uh, here's an example. We just found out last week that someone who is very close to us got news that her father, who lives in another country, was admitted to hospital. Well, when that happens, you know, you're, 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 you should, or we should, be connected to that person. How's it going? You know, what follow up. You know, we have a couple people, you know, that I know of, even leaders in our church here, whose fathers, uh, who are in another country, have cancer. And, you know, to once I find that out, then, you know, what I want to do, right? You want to follow up. How's it going? But it doesn't have to be anything that extreme. It can be just, you know, work's been, that's almost going to say a bad word. Um, work's been not going good. Um, so, um, <laughs> yeah, it hasn't been going good. Um, <laughs> So, and then you can follow that up and say, hey, you know, follow that up. Say, is it getting better? Or, and then it might be some advice. I mean, we've had people in our church say, brother, you've got to get a new job. You've tried. You've gone to your boss. You've, you've been faithful. You need to quit. You have no life here. You have no work-life balance. Your health is suffering. You need to quit and find another job. So sometimes that's the input. So I'm going to, this is kind of just tongue in cheek, but I'm going to quote myself here. So case, okay, I'm going to get a famous tweet here. Um, so this is it. May I suggest one of the greatest problems we face at this time is loneliness and discouragement. Therefore, one of the greatest ways we can serve one another is through connection and encouragement. So, and this is just as I take the pulse of our own family and the people I know and the people that I've talked to, the idea of loneliness and disconnection, even though that we're no more connected digitally, of course, 
Um, but you know, when we looked at the relationship and we looked at Dunbar numbers of how many people you can actually be in relationship at different levels of relationship, you have to go back to that message or look up Dunbar numbers. And you know, there's there's only a smaller sphere that we can really have. But as I'm in those spheres, I'm realizing those smaller spheres that there is a lot of loneliness, there's a lot of isolation, there's a lot of just there's a lot of that right now. Okay. And uh, one of the ways that we can serve one another here is to break them out of that and just say, hey, you know, let's get together, let's connect, and then also provide what encouragement. I think the greatest thing that encourages me is when someone checks in with me. Hey, I know you've got a big thing coming up. Hey, just, I'm telling you, it just puts a, puts a something in me when someone brings that encouragement, and I'm sure we've all experienced that before. Okay, point number three, service to all. Uh, the devotion of the early Christians to sacrificial service was one of the reasons why the Lord was adding to their number day by day. Uh, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, How the Obscure Marginal Jesus Movement Became the Dominant Religious Force in the Western World in a Few Centuries, the sociologist Rodney Stark noted, only professors have titles that long in their book. Um, but here's what he said, just one little quote. It's a, it, it's a, it's a big book. Um, the Emperor Julian launched a campaign to institute pagan chari charities in an effort to match the Christians. Isn't that amazing? The pagan world wanted to launch charities because they saw the influence that the Christians were having. Julian complained in a letter to a high priest of Galatia in 362 that the pagans needed to equal the virtues of the Christians. For re recent Christian growth was caused by their moral character, even if pretended, and by their benevolence towards strangers and care for the graves of the dead. We don't do that anymore, but... Um, in a letter to another priest, Julian wrote, I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the priest, this is the pagan priest, the impious Galileans, those were the early Christians, because they... Jesus was from Galilee, observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. So he, they saw, even the emperor saw what was going on right under is the spread of Christianity. And part of it was because they devoted themselves to benevolence. And he also wrote, uh, uh, Julian said, the impious Galatians support not only their poor, but ours as well. It's like, they're looking after everybody. It was typical that the early Christians, there was a lot of, uh, in the Greco-Roman world, there was a lot of infanticide. Like, if you didn't want a child, or if it was a girl and you wanted a boy or whatever, or if it was sick in some way, they would just, they would just put the babies down by the river and let them die. And the Christians would gather up all these babies, whether they were Christian babies, you know, Christians would do that for one thing, but <laughs> Christian babies, yeah. Um, that, who, and, and they would care for them. When, when plagues came through, the Christians thought, well, what's the worst thing we can do? We can just get a, go see Jesus sooner, so let's go help. And that's what they did. And many of them were nursed back to health. And the ones who were nursed back to health, many, many of them became Christians because they hadn't seen sacrificial service like that. And it made an impact. Um, the failure of our church today, I believe, in many ways, it's been the emphasis of preaching the gospel without the same emphasis of practical demonstration of the gospel. So the gospel is not supposed to come across in just word. The kingdom of God advances 
through the word of the gospel and the demonstration of the gospel. If we say God is love and we believe God is love, but we're not following and loving things, then it's like the word and the message doesn't match. Do you see? And that's part of the disconnect is people say, well, Christians are saying love this, that, and the other. But when we look, sometimes people in the name of God have done terrible things, colonialism, residential schools, all these things that, how is that? You know, how is that sacrificing service? We've, we've gone a long ways from what the early Christians uh, I, I did and how they lived. And so, and I'm excited about more practical missions because to be honest, I get bored of just talking. I don't know about you, but is there something about, and maybe it's just my personality, but I'm very, like, I gotta move, I gotta move my body. I've gotta, like, I gotta do things. Like, I can't just spend all my time in my head. And so, this is that when I think more about this, I get actually excited about God calling us to more uh, practical ministry. Uh, you know, when I preach that message on practical ministry in the spring, you know, I think the Lord has a has a way of checking in to see if the words that we preach are going to be backed up with actions. Because I think it was the next week that uh, someone contacted us. They were a young family, never left their country, didn't know anybody in Toronto except for one distant person that said they would pick them up at the airport, and that was it. They had never left their country, but they had gotten permanent residents to come to Canada. No jobs, nothing, just a couple of suitcases. And they were and they were having a real hard time because anytime you contact a landlord, they want what do they want? They want employment records, they want all these different things to see, and so they were kind of stuck. Anyway, uh, we ended up reaching out. They were able to find a basement suite to move into. And uh, I just thought, hey, let's just let's just get to know this couple a bit and help them out. And, you know, called some people in our small group and some other people. And we descended on that little basement suite, brought them some uh, furniture, went on Kijiji, you know, and Facebook Marketplace and all of that. And, you know, God, and, 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 and honestly, it was like a fun day. And they were uh, very blessed. I don't even know. Did you guys come today, Patrick? Here today? They were trying to come. They were trying to figure out TTC from Brandon. But anyway, they said they were trying. Anyway, um, it was it was a lot of fun, and I think that it and also made an impact. In fact, at the end of it, they said after we prayed for them, uh, you know, uh, um, Virginia said. She said, I didn't believe that this could actually be true. And she said, I'll never forget this day for the rest of my life. And um, thank you all of those who you know, have been following up in situations like this and others. Okay, so I want to just say something practical and then close. So you might be saying, well, I don't know how to do this. I, I, I know I can pick up the phone. I can encourage people. I can do that. I'm not sure. I can serve in the house of the Lord. And we're going to learn uh, some opportunities of how you can serve here in the house of the Lord here at Every Nation GTA. Um, but here's some practical ways just that we already do and we can do. So first of all, we're in partnership with something called Adam's House, Adam House, which is an advocacy house for refugees here in Toronto. And so we usually do a clothing drive every year, but there's also opportunity for helping out with the kids, playing games with them and things like that. So that's one thing that we have been doing and we want to do more of that. Uh, we have a couple in our church who serves at the U University of Toronto Community Garden, and uh, all the food goes to the food bank. 
so if you like the outdoors, you like gardening, uh, you can join them. <coughs> um, many of you live in neighborhoods all over the GTA, and have you, I know this because I lived in neighborhoods here, but often there's cleanup days at the spring and the fall and things like that, where it's like, hey, let's clean up the few little neighborhood parks and you know people descend on those. You can sign up to those opportunities. Um, and then uh, finally, and there's many more that we could probably think about, helping students and newcomers to Canada find winter clothes, place to stay, how to use the TTC. If, if you're an immigrant and uh, came from a country that was not anything like Canada, you can probably remember like, like getting a bank, trying to get a bank account. Uh, um, you know, how do you get around this town? city, you know, there's just, there's a plethora of recycling, like what is, what are these bins? Um, so it just goes on and on. And so these are just practical ways that we can uh, help. Now, I want to conclude with a little bit of um, under, uh, just centering on this word, not just service, but sacrificial service, because I don't want to, I don't want, I know I use the word fun. And, and there is a blessing in it, but it's, it is sacrifice. To give your time, to give your money, to give your effort, it is sacrifice. It is. I don't know anyone in this room who I know who has a lot of extra time, a lot of extra money, or a lot of extra energy, or even a lot of extra emotional energy right now. It is a sacrifice. And I was trying to think, Lord, how do we tap in? We know that you sacrificed, but... And we're going to take communion and, and, and remember his sacrifice. But sometimes it's just hard to follow up with sacrifice, knowing that story. We've known it. We're so familiar with it. And I was just thinking, how can we, how can we see or a greater touch to that sacrifice? And I came across uh, this uh, little rundown of the sacrifices of the first apostles. And to conclude, I want to show you their sacrifice, okay? I want to show you the sacrifice of the first apostles as they looked at the sacrifice of Christ. Okay, here we go. Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, killed by a sword wound. Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death. John was sentenced to the mines on the prison of the island of Patmos. He wrote his prophetic book of Revelation on Patmos, the Apostle John was later freed and returned to serve as Bishop of Edessa in modern Turkey. He died an old man, the only apostle to, die, apostle to die peacefully. Peter, he was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross. According to church tradition, it was because he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus has died. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was thrown over a hundred foot down the south southeast pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. When they discovered that he survived the fall, his enemies beat James to death with a fuller's club. This was the same pinnacle where Satan had taken Jesus during the temptation. James, the son of Zebedee, a different James, was a fisherman by trade. 
and when Jesus called him to a lifetime of ministry. As a strong leader of the church, James was beheaded in Jerusalem. The Roman officer who guarded James and watched amazed as James defended his faith uh, at his trial. Later, the officer walked beside James to the place of execution. Overcome by conviction, he declared his new faith to the judge and knelt beside James to accept the heading as a Christian. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, he was a missionary to Asia. He witnessed for our Lord in present-day Turkey. Bartholomew was martyred for his preaching in Armenia, where he was flayed to death with a whip. Andrew, he was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Patmos, Greece, after being worshipped, whipped severely by seven soldiers. They tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported when he was led to the cross, Andrew saluted in these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Jesus hanging on it. He continued to preach his, to his tormentors for two days until he expired. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips to establish the church in his subcontinent. Jude, he was killed by arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace the traitor Judas Iscariot, was stoned and beheaded. Paul, he was tortured and then beheaded by the evil Emperor Nero at Rome in A.D. 67. Paul endured a lengthy imprisonment, which allowed him to write his many letters slash epistles uh, to the churches he had formed throughout the Roman Empire. These letters, which taught many of the foundation doctrines of Christianity, form a large portion of the New Testament. After I read that, I thought, okay, I don't sacrifice. <laughs> And um, what caught my attention is somehow they saw the sacrifice of Christ and were so impacted that they were able to sacrifice at such a astonishing level. And I just pray for me that I get one more step closer to walking in the sacrificial lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ that I serve. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.